0: You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Recapping a game one classic here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation, as well as Dime Magazine, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can also, most importantly, follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can tell me your favorite moment from Game 1, a victory by the Phoenix Suns, a real statement, 99-90. to 90. We're going to give you the sights and sounds, you and I. We're going to take that journey back together through Game 1. Uh, we're going to do a little bit on how the Suns answered the key or or just the, the game answered the key questions I had going into the game. And then we're going to give you guys a little bit of uh, what to chew on as we head into game two. We'll also be right back here tomorrow with more bridging the gap between games one and two with uh, Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic is who I have uh, lined up for now I won't make any promises you can also I'm sure tell Brandon is not here for our usual Monday show um, that is because he went to game one we'll talk to him all about that on Tuesday he's gonna do the recap of game two with me so that'll be up Tuesday night for Wednesday's show and we will debrief with Brandon he is caught in uh travel craziness house sitting and all the rest so do not do not worry he will be back But let's get into this game. Just a humongous game, a classic. I really think this will be one of the games we look back on from this entire series. The Suns played incredible basketball, particularly, I thought, in the first half to grab hold of this game, go into halftime with a uh, 53-45 lead and score 32 points in the first quarter. They didn't crack 30 again. The Lakers never cracked 30 that was a massive part of why the Suns got out to the the thing that they got the lead that they got out to. Um, but let's start here. Let's start here. The crowd. Um, I think it was about eleven thousand three hundred people or so who were in the building. Um, just for reference, that's a pretty good chunk. That's about two thirds of the normal capacity for the arena. It felt to me like they have these. Uh, these tarps over the seats uh, along where the players, the benches are, and then a few under the baskets where some of the uh, team staff and things like that would, would be sitting under in their seats where James Jones, Jeff Bauer, you know, that that kind of tunnel area. So other than that, it felt to me, even upstairs ev- everywhere, it was pretty packed. Um, not a lot of, of distancing, not a lot of that pod system that we saw for a while there, It was pretty much packed to the brim outside of those those tarped off rows, and the crowd completely answered the call, guys. For those of you who were there, you will know what I'm talking about, but really, 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 this was a massive showing from all of you, from Suns fans, Um, getting into the building, not selling your tickets to Lakers fans, buying them up before Lakers fans could get them, showing your support when things were going well and showing your displeasure when things were not going well the before the even game the game even started there were beat la chance there were mvp chance for chris paul there were i uh, will get to the moments that that we heard the crowd really roar in a second but just a complete shout out and kudos to all of you who showed up to those of you who have friends and family who showed up who watched on tv the the entire basketball world was tuned into this game And I really think the fans helped swing things. The energy was incredible. If you can get to Game 2 or Game 5, if there is one, Game 7, of course, be there, guys. This is really, really special. Let's get into some of those moments, though, where we really heard the crowd come alive and and that made this such a classic game. First, of of course, is uh, is Chris Paul. Um, LeBron soars in for an offensive rebound on a fast break you know, you know what happened. If you if you didn't watch the game, you've seen the replay. It was all uh the story of the game until late, late in it when he eventually came, you know, was able to come back and look like himself again. But LeBron goes up for that offensive rebound. Chris Paul puts his arm in the in the situation to tap it or secure it himself, and then Cam Johnson is involved. It ends with uh Chris Paul landing and then almost a full. Second or or so passes when he lands before he suddenly grabs that right shoulder. It's called—they're calling it a, a right shoulder contusion. The Suns. So far, we will probably have an update for you when we talk to Dwayne on Monday, guys. So that'll be for Tuesday morning to get you ready for Game Two. The latest on the injury, but that's that's the latest. That's you know he he leaves in the second quarter, comes back a moment later. Leaves again, I believe, in the third quarter. Comes back again, and coincidentally, LeBron James also hit hit his shoulder. So, not a body part we see all that often get hurt in an NBA game. But uh, it was a very physical game, very high energy. Both teams, I think, were were clearly wanting to win Game One pretty badly. We saw adjustments already, which we'll get into in that next segment. So. Physicality you know, ends in some some nicks and, and bruises. We'll see how many of them linger if Chris Paul is, is incapacitated at all. He pretty much could not shoot. He made a couple late in the clock when he sort of had to. I think he took maybe three or four shots in that second half, or I guess I should say after he came back from the injury. Um, three of eight from the field overall, eight assists, but only one turnover and was able to gut out 36 humongous minutes. The Suns were just better when he was out there, and they needed him late because the next moment his campaign uh, got ejected. Of course, and this was uh, honestly usually you can feel this building; you can kind of sense like, okay, you know, let's settle down, guys. This this is getting chippy. We don't want it to get out of hand. You know, sometimes there's a a foul call that is very contentious and 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 everything, and that sort of precipitates the the fight or just disagreement, whatever. Didn't happen this time. Uh, The Suns completely caught off guard, I think, too. The Lakers, uh, Alex Caruso, the the typical thing, right? Just guys kind of batting at the ball, you know, who wants it, who doesn't, whatever. And I don't think anyone did anything particularly wrong. Alex Caruso basically slaps at the ball. Gets it out of campaign's hands, throws it back to to Cam. Cam then, after kind of shoving around with Caruso a little bit, throws the ball at Caruso, which I saw on Twitter potentially is against the rules in and of itself that you just, if you throw the ball at another player, you are ejected automatically. I had never heard that. It sounds reasonable though. And then the big thing, the escalation was Montrez Harrell, who I think was kind of trying to be somewhat of a peacekeeper slash like get off my guy sort of thing with Caruso, but just. Wallops campaign knocks him to the ground and that that start okay you know not benches cleared like uh, fight but you know training staffs and uh, coaches and and everything over to the skirmish to make sure it did not get any worse credit. To both teams for not crossing the line. There was some video, I guess, of DeAndre Ayton stepping over and hailing back to 2007. Uh, but I'm not too. I I don't care. Of <laughs> course, I just don't care. Uh, they're not they're not going to call that nonsense. They don't do it as often ever since the Suns were the uh, the the I guess what's the opposite of beneficiary, uh, whatever it was back then. So I don't. That's not whatever. It does not matter. But the end result was a tech for Harrell, a tech for Caruso, and. Two for Payne, which resulted in his ejection. So the Suns were without him for the rest after that third quarter situation, uh, without him. And and then Paul needed to play, even if he was hurt. So big, big minutes by Chris Paul campaign. Devin Booker told us post game the first guy he spoke with after the game was over was Payne, who came over to book, apologized, took full responsibility for losing his cool and. Uh, yeah, apologize. Kind of, kind of took it, took it upon himself and and owned it. And that's a testament to the culture of this team. We've seen it all season long, and and I think it's going to continue uh, to be an advantage. That was what Monty said pregame. He wanted to see this team maintain their cool and hold, uh, keep the cultural, keep the habits, keep the, the 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 build of the program that they've put so much effort and work into. Over the course of the past couple of seasons, and I think that that example book gave us of the conversation with Payne is is one. I think just the readiness to play, getting out to that first quarter lead, was another one. Just just being uh, being in a spot where that was possible in the first place, with the men- the mental focus it takes and and game plan discipline and all that. So I will get into some of what that game plan was, the lessons we can learn in terms of the the ball that took place on the floor in this game. But first, I wanted to take a quick break to tell you guys about Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app that helps you sleep, focus, and just be better. Headspace can change your life. It's the only meditation app that is advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation is, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation just for you. If you need help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your little ones. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I am not going to lie to you guys. This week already, we only have had game one so far. It has been uh, not stressful. It's been fun, but Overwhelming for sure, and uh, I've been feeling it with my late uh, late nights and lack of sleep. So Headspace really helps me get locked in. I, I like to have something to center me, ground me, and and just overcome some of those those obstacles every week. Right, And this series is gonna is definitely gonna challenge me. So uh, that's that's my use. Headspace is backed though by 25 published studies on its benefits, as well as 600,000 five star reviews and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy to build a life-changing practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule and you deserve to feel happier. Headspace is meditation made simple and we have an offer for you. Go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA. That's headspace.com slash locked on NBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. Today's show also brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. My favorite protein bar, I have been trying protein shakes and you know like a, a little bag of almonds, all these different things as I've been on the workout that I've been te- workout regimen that I've been telling you guys about and nothing compares to Bilt bar. It's sweet, it's delicious. I like to eat it. It doesn't feel like, oh, you know, let me cram this in. I, I gotta do my you know my pre-workout boost or or anything. it I want to eat them. They really, really are delicious. Most of them only have about 170, 100, uh, 130, or 180 grams of calories, uh, about 17, 18 grams of protein, and very low carbs, less than five net carbs per uh, grams of net carbs per bar. So whether it's raspberry or mint brownie or my personal favorite double chocolate, check yours out today. Try a pack. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked 15 guys, to try out your first built bar pack and get 15% off that order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at billbar.com. Let's go through kind of Q&A here, FAQ, whatever you want to call it, of what we all were wondering heading into Suns Lakers game 1 and what we saw coming out of Suns Lakers game 1. I will start with the defensive matchups on Davis and LeBron right? That's, I think, been the biggest conversation about this team. And that'll get us to a lot of things, honestly. So uh, we'll stick with this for a bit here. Uh, and then there's really only a couple other big ones. I think we'll hit them organically here. So let's start there. Davis didn't play... So in the first half, from at about the 645 mark or so in the first quarter, we saw... Uh, Davis at the five. But it only lasted about a minute, and then Montrez Harrell checked in with five minutes and 26 seconds left. So it was about a minute, minute and a half. And then the Lakers closed with that for the majority of the second half. Um, so we, we saw a pretty typical in the first half example of how the Suns might defend the Lakers' current starting lineup, although TBD on how long that even lasts. And what we saw there was Crowder defending Davis and Aiton defending Drummond and McHale defending LeBron. So it really ended up being pretty chalk. Um David, you know, Davis being the four, Crowder the four, James and, and Bridges the five the four uh, threes, my goodness, and Drummond and Aiton the fives, right? So it ended up being, you know, just kind of drawing the dotted lines across the starting lineups, but that was it was not uh, the assumption from a lot of people including in some cases me, I thought we might see Crowder defend the big man and we did. We did see it at, at very small moments, especially when it was Montrez Harrell. Um when it was Harrell and Davis on the floor against Ayton and Crowder or Sharich and Crowder, we did see actually Aiton gets some run on Davis or, or Sharich, and then Crowder on Harrell, which because Harrell is uh, smaller, right? I mean, he, he really is more the size of a four than anything. He's not a five physically. It's just sort of he can't shoot and he can't defend on the perimeter, so he becomes a center. Um, he actually had a, more effect, uh, a better effect on the game than I thought he would, Harrell. Um, but all things considered, for the most part, the default settings here, so to speak, were... Aiton defending Drummond. And the Lakers just didn't go to that very often. Drummond was clogging their spacing, not really making an impact offensively. And yes, he got seven offensive rebounds, but he got only two defensive rebounds, which is not great because on the other end, DeAndre Ayton got eight offensive rebounds. So neither guy could, could clean up the defensive glass very effectively. And Drummond just wasn't impacting the game in other ways. He really wasn't making an impact at the rim as a, as a defender interior. He wasn't, they, they didn't really trust him to execute any sort of uh, specific and, and testy uh, coverages on, on Booker or Paul on the pick and roll. They were pretty much just dropping him and Booker and Paul were getting to that mid range where they could make some shots. Um, Just not a good night from Drummond. So we saw the Lakers downsize. And when they did that, we saw Aiton defending LeBron, uh, defending Davis, of course. And then for the most part, you saw Crowder because the, the, the fifth guy there replacing Drummond was Kuzma for stretches, but mostly it was Alex Caruso. So you saw in those cases, like Crowder would defend KCP or, uh, one of the guards because he can do that, right? That's part of what makes him such a valuable player. He's versatile where he can bang with Davis and he can defend a ball handler if he needs to. So, You saw the versatility of Crowder there, and when the Lakers downsized, I thought Aiton did a really good job defending Davis. Um, I I mean, the the results speak for themselves. This guy was a shell of himself, Davis. 5 of 16 from the field, 13 points, a, a game worse, and obviously team worst, minus 18. So Davis played 39 minutes. The Lakers got outscored by 18 points in those other in those 39 minutes. So that means the other nine minutes, they were on pace to outscore the Suns by 27 points, right? Because they the, the Suns won by nine. Um, so if you take Davis off the floor and replace him with a, I mean, I'm not going to say Mark Keith Morris on this team, but just an average performance from Davis in this game probably looks very, very different. So I think that shows that Crowder and Ayton between the two of them did an excellent job on Anthony Davis. Um, for the most part, also just as a note, Sharridge did not really play when Davis was in the game. His minutes were pretty much paired with Harold's minutes. So it was a smart move by Monty to not have Sharach exposed trying to guard trying to guard Anthony Davis. And Torrey Craig hardly played, which did surprise me a little bit, but part of that was because Cam Johnson played so well. Uh, So that's sort of the defensive breakdown. I thought McHale did a really good job against James, and I think the other thing to quickly note here would be the double teams were strategic but quick. The Suns were decisive when they knew that there was a double team to be had, mostly when the Lakers kind of dumbly, in my opinion, spaced the floor in a way where they gave they gave the Suns somebody to help off of in the corner or on the wing, too way too close to where the post up was happening. And that's mostly where the double teams were, was when James or Davis tried to post, and the Suns were really quick and and strategic about okay identifying when they can help and getting there right 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 there. And I think they did an excellent job of that. LeBron had five turnovers. Davis didn't have any, but the misses I think were were there or just Davis having to give it up. And the, tr- the trickle down from that is KCP was 1 of 7 from deep, Wes Matthews 0 of 3, and Schroeder only 1 of 2. So the guys that they were helping off of was were not making shots. And honestly, a, a real shout out to Booker here. He was often the guy who was having to do that that doubling. And he did it really smartly. He didn't get burned by it. He didn't lose his man relocating on the perimeter. He got to the ball, got to that help and, and double team team and and really made that presence felt and made LeBron or AD have to give the ball up, shoot it really quickly, or force him into a turnover. On the topic of Booker, that'll be where we close here uh, on the the nuts and bolts and then really lead into some questions for game two, which will be uh, pretty much along the same lines. But Booker was excellent with the pressure. We knew it would come. They showed it to us earlier just this month when the Lakers and Suns played each other last. No LeBron in that game, but he's not going to really defend Book anyway for the most part. So, we saw it again, KCP and Caruso, especially Wes Matthews as well, blitzing Booker or, or sending a really shooter to sending quick help on the perimeter, especially far from the basket, which I think is smart by Vogel and the Lakers coaching staff to say, let's not do this, you know, when he's in the middle of a pick and roll or something, but you'd see it like he would cross half court and they would quick send somebody over there to double and just get the ball out of Booker's hands. But he did a good job of giving it up, giving it up to the guy who was getting open a couple rotations ahead and um, yeah, um doing it quickly. But then on the backside of that, you saw the Suns just move the ball really, really well once that once it was out of, uh, of Booker's hands. And I thought it was smart to actually. I don't know how much of this was in the Suns control. I was going to say it was smart by them. Uh, we did see some cutting and some things that I had highlighted as potential places to grow. You saw Shrewd, or, um, you saw Crowder get to the free throw line late in that fourth quarter for a bucket when they, the Suns were really putting it away, but that was you know just filling space that had been opened by the double team. It wasn't the guy whose man doubled Booker, but it was the Suns kind of reading and reacting, and Crowder got to that free throw line. I thought that was a perfect example of how the Suns handled it. Booker getting off it quick and other guys being in position to to make plays and, and moving the ball to the right spots. Um but I was gonna say the idea of of doing it so early actually could have worked to the Suns' benefit because they were able to they were able to to get the ball to space before the Lakers could really do anything about it. Whereas if you if you wait until Booker is, is initiating, then you can be more direct with your help and you can make it so that there aren't any options it almost felt like by doing it so far out the Suns were, were reacting really well but the Lakers were hurting themselves because they couldn't um they couldn't close off the lanes quickly enough they Booker was really excellent keeping his dribble alive and just finding the right place to keep the ball rotating around and so we'll, we'll see how that looks if the if they uh, my guess is uh, actually Here's what we'll do, because we want to talk about what to watch for in game two. We'll do that right after a quick break, but I first wanted to tell you guys about Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview all right there on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster, only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews right from your Indeed dashboard. Again, guys, Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast, and easy. They have tools like Indeed Instant Match, which gives you quality candidates whose resumes match your job description perfectly, and Indeed Skills Tests, which on average reduce hiring time by 27%. There are over 130 of those skills tests so that you can add your must-have requirements and only pay for applicants that meet them and get a minimum score on that test. So according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined, and you can see why if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash locked. That's indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. A little bit of a preview of game two here, guys. What I was saying there about Booker and the attention that he got, um, is it's connected to the drumming conversation. Uh, we, we, didn't, first of all, if they try to do this, Harold will play even less. So just to get that out of the way, I think the reason he was able to play is because they were really, they stuck to, they stuck to their, their default defense for most of the game. Even when Davis was out the five guys, they were. They were dropping him into the paint, just like they were Drummond or Harrell, who really wasn't, he was defending actually not the big man, so he's not a good example, but like they were doing with Drummond, like they were doing with Gasol, Marc Gasol early in the season. So they were not showing a lot, and they were not really adjusting their defense much at all with with how they were defending the pick and roll with their big men, and that's what I said. It was really more of the guards doubling and, and blitzing at Booker, without a screen. So what we could see with the screens in this in this next game could be that uh, probably gonna have to mostly be when when Davis is at the five, but Drummond maybe um, is is getting the big man closer to the spot of the screen, really hedging or using him to trap Booker and move his feet, Davis or Drummond. Um, that would be one uh, one thing I, I would assume that we would see in game two. Um, a couple others for you. One would just be the obvious of does does Vogel keep Drummond in the starting lineup. Second one with that would also be do we see Marcus He's still a player I think can hurt the Suns because he can space the floor. He can get DeAndre Ayton out on the perimeter. Same with Sharic if he's in there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. I also wouldn't be surprised with the Lakers needing um, needing shooting and, and reliable shooting if we do see Ben McLemore. I, I don't really get why he's not trustworthy. I get he can't really defend at the same level. You know, I get that in Houston, he was protected a little bit by them switching and their their game just being so simple uh, on both ends. But uh, I do think he's a better shooter, probably the best one on this entire team. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him maybe in place of like the Talon Horton Tucker minutes, which he got seven in game one, or even some of the, the Wes Matthews and, and KCP minutes, they got a combined 47. Of course, KCP most of that. Maybe Matthews more likely there. Kuzma even, too, who really didn't do much of anything in this game. So, Macklemore could be an option there. Gasol could be an option there. But do the Suns, or do the Lakers just go ahead and start Caruso at in the starting lineup over Drummond in Game 2 right away? I don't think that's out of the question, and it would obviously get the Lakers to their best lineup sooner. A couple with things within that, though, is we saw Frank Vogel basically stagger LeBron and AD for most of this game, aside from the beginning of the first quarter, beginning of the third quarter, and then end of the game, they were hardly on the floor together at all. So we didn't get to see a lot of LeBron and AD pick and rolls, which is a a clear devastating weapon and something where you start, you're going to start to see the Suns mess with things a little bit and switch that and, and try to get the right guys there so we'll have to see if if they if they go to it more and if they're on the floor together more uh, another thing is the pace the suns i didn't even mention in any of the segments yet but the suns had a clear emphasis on scoring in transition early in this game they have 16 transition or fast break points which shows i mean they only had 99 total so that's a really good rate and the possessions ended up being pretty slow it was 86.6 um and 90 for the Lakers. It was an average pace of 88.3 over the course of the game. Um that's pretty which is like possessions per 48 minutes I think is how that's how that's determined. Very low for what the Suns were doing with the the pace in the first place. So, the Suns really came out emphasizing that. That's a lot of I think Ayton had 10 or 12 just in the first quarter. He finished with 21. So, he was able to get going. They found him on lobs, seals, just, you know, a a ball handler driving and then dumping it off to him in transition. The Lakers were not ready for that. Drummond is not a player who's really that quick and is going to run the floor and all that. So, that's something where I think we could see the Suns continue to find success there. The other on the other hand, though, I do think the Lakers should be doing it more as well, and it would be smart of them to 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 try. I was watching the Heat, at least some of the highlights and um, longer packages from the finals last year to write about Jake Crowder, which I did over at Bright Side of the Sun if you want to check that out. It's a lot of it still applies. I've talked about a little bit of it here, but worth reading. And it has some clips from last year's finals and how the Heat used Crowder. And watching that those games, what I was really taken by is the free throw situation or the foul situation, I mean, and how how much Crowder drew, that, that LeBron drew fouls on Crowder in transition. I just didn't remember that being as bit, as big of a part of the series as it ended up being in, in hindsight when I went back and looked. And I don't think that the Lakers went to it all that much. Maybe LeBron can't. Maybe he is still working his way back and doesn't have the agility and athleticism and explosiveness right now to just burst to the basket out of nothing the way that we know he has in the past maybe that's just not an option for him in this series but I would expect the Lakers to try that stuff more Schroeder is an option there as well Horton Tucker even if he's on the floor to just get some easy points that way the Lakers are not going to survive with so few easy shots in the game, and they're just not getting a lot right now. That was true with the Warriors game in the play-in as well. The other thing I would obviously say to look at to close things out here is the free throw situation, the foul discrepancy. That was obviously a part of why the Suns... It played a big part in a lot of the moments of this game, honestly. In the first half, the, Lake, the Suns did not get a free throw attempt. They did not get to the line one time, and the Lakers had 17. So that evened out in the second half. The Suns had 12, the Lakers only had 11. So better in the second half. I think a lot of that was Booker during a couple of key stretches, getting to the line when the the Suns really needed that. So credit to him, he got there six times. But just generally speaking, um, will it continue to play a part? Will it continue to, to make things chippy? You also saw, you know, that was part of why the LeBron, they, they they didn't call a foul when LeBron initially injured Chris Paul's arm and shoulder. But then the next time on a similar play, LeBron soared in for a rebound and they did call him for a charge. We also saw a couple moments where Booker very uh, astutely, like he surprised me how much he was able to keep his composure in a couple of moments in the third quarter where one was a shot, a, a drive to the basket, I believe it was the third, it might have been the fourth, a drive to the basket on Drummond, Drummond went up, Booker ran right into him, they called nothing, I was no call at all, and it definitely seemed like a foul on Drummond, Booker did not get let it get to him, similar on a play, Booker was crossing half court, the Lakers were trying to pick him up, get some some, some pressure on him right at half court, and Alex Caruso just planted himself in the logo circle and uh book ran right into him. They called it. I don't actually don't know if they, I, that was either a foul on Booker or nothing again. So there were a few moments where the fouls were getting to them. There was also, that was the big concern when Chris Paul went out with that injury was the sun started to sort of fall apart in terms of their mental energy, mental focus. And they, they, they probably got called for two or three fouls in that stretch. And then the Lakers got to the bonus with about seven minutes to go in the second quarter. So worth watching if that will continue to be an issue. And then finally, guys, the Lakers, if you remember in the bubble, even as they dominated in the first two rounds, they lost both of the game ones. So that was Portland in the first round and then Houston in the second round. Both of those teams stole game one from the Lakers and then the Lakers went on to win the series in five games. I'm not... Saying that as a guest, my point for this series, my point is just to say we've seen this before and the Suns are surely not going to come out feeling like they have conquered L.A. in game two by any means. And and we should not feel that way either. The Lakers have done this before. They clearly did not want to show anything in this game too much to kind of give their hand away. Right. Uh, we talked about it with the defense, the transition scoring the rotation, putting drummond in there, putting harrell in there, not going small until you really had to in the second half. All these things, what if from the jump in game 2 Frank Vogel does all of them? Think about how different that game will look. So we will have to see, but it it, it has happened before that the Lakers kind of messed around in game 1 and then got it together and and made a series out of it and and dominated in some cases. So I'm excited. I will have Dwayne Rankin on with me on Monday for you guys to come uh, to listen to on Tuesday. Getting you ready for Game 2, getting the latest on on the injuries and the uh, the strategy here that we're going to see unfold. This series is going to be awesome, guys. I don't think it's going to be over anytime soon. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you have a chance to get to the arena or just watch this game, these games with friends. Uh, con- connect with people. Get in the building because... Um, It's going to be special. It already has been. This was a classic game one. This was an exciting game. The Suns showed up. They showed up huge. They looked like legitimate contenders in this game. They looked like everything we hoped that they could be. We talked about they needed to play perfectly in order to beat the Lakers four times out of seven. Well, one down, three to go, guys. Enjoy your Monday. I will be back with you Tuesday. And then, game two. Talk soon.